Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fucking ears? And of course, you knew what the fuck, Nicks. Welcome. Thanks for the new name. What the fuck, Nicks? Like it. My name's Mark Marin. This is WTF. I appreciate you guys listening. I hope you're having a, a relatively decent day or night or whenever you're listening to this. We've got a, an interesting show today. It, look, you guys know me. You know where I am. I'm sitting in my garage. I'm surrounded by the artifacts of my life. I've got books from college that I didn't read in college, but I still hold on to the hope that I might read them. I've got the memorabilia. I've got pictures from my career everywhere, you know, starting from when I was born to, to you know, recently. I, it's like the little uh, Hard Rock Cafe of Mark Marin out here, only the food is better because I, I'm, I, I'm a better cook. And sitting right in front of me, my friends, right in my line of vision in the newly designed Mark Marin Garage Studio with the new IKEA table, uh, is a poster for the HBO comedy Half Hours from 1995. It's a Fillmore poster. Those were taped at the Fillmore, and when they tape a special of any kind, they usually do a bulk of them. Uh, they tape two of those a night, and right under there it says uh, June one. Bobcat Goldthwait, Jonathan Katz. June 2, Mark Marin, Judy Gold. June 3, Dana Gould and Janine Garofalo. June 4, Carlos Mencia. Carlos Mencia was on those tapings. I, I, I have a memory of Carlos because we all showed up in San Francisco at the same time and I didn't know who he was, but that wasn't unusual because I, I didn't know uh, the Latino circuit. I didn't, obviously, I don't know everybody, but I remember even then at that point, this kid walked in He's a little younger than me, but he's been doing comedy, obviously, as long as I have. He had a hat on. He had sunglasses on. And I thought, who the, who the hell is this? Is this guy a star? Should I know this guy? Who is this guy? I didn't know him, and I don't really know him now. But I do know from looking at that poster and knowing my career that that guy has been doing comedy about as long as me. I don't know that I ever watched a full episode of Mind of Mencia. I don't know that I've ever seen him do stand-up for more than 10 or 15 minutes. But I do know his reputation. I do know what people say about him because it's sort of hard to avoid it. I am in the community. And I, I, I really have not ever come in contact, you, you know, by proxy with somebody more hated, you know, more uh, slagged than Carlos Mencia. And look, you know, he, it's, it's about stealing. It's about stealing jokes, which is bad. Stealing jokes is bad. There's, there's no denying that. The community has dealt with joke thieves before. I, if some of you listen to my Robin Williams interview, Robin Williams was a reputed joke thief. I talked to him about that. But this Carlos thing is much, much bigger in the sense of that you know, he has become defined by this. And my feelings about it are, are have shifted over the years. I, you know, innately one of the things that drew me to wanting to interview Carlos was that Joe Rogan called Carlos out publicly uh, on a night at the Comedy Store. Carlos was on stage and said, "Look, I'm tired of you calling me, uh, you know, Carlos Menstilia. 
because this reputation has hung over this guy for a long time, from what I understand. And Rogan got up and said his piece. He said, you steal material. And then a bunch of other comics got on board and said, you, you know, Ari Shafir said, you stole my joke about uh, the wall that they were going to build between Texas and Mexico to keep immigrants out. My feeling has always been that if someone steals your joke, you go up to that person and say, I think you stole my joke. And they go, well, it's a little different. And you go, holy shit, maybe it is a little different, but it's, same, it's really the same joke. And then you have to decide together you know, what you're going to do about that. You know, usually I say, well, fuck, if it's that easy to do, I'm, I'm not going to do my joke. Or I'm going to say, well, my joke's better and it's different enough. You do your joke. Or you say, dude, that's my fucking joke. You know, don't do it. But it's between you and them. My issue with Carlos was not knowing the full story and not, you know, not really ever having talked to him. That when I put up his name on Facebook and on Twitter that I was going to have him on this show, just the flow of contempt and hate that came at me. Not towards me, but just towards him saying, why, fuck him, you know, fuck that guy, that guy sucks, he's a fucking asshole, he's just a thief. The, the amount of hate that came at this guy, a comedian, was, was mind-blowing to me. Now, this is something that's been an issue with him for a long time. I mean, that night of the HBO specials, apparently, you know, George Lopez, you know, because of that special, you know, called him out for stealing some of his material. And this was before George was a star, is before anyone knew who George was. You know, Carlos surfaced before George, but they knew each other. The Latino community of comics is, is, uh, is insulated. Uh, I don't know a lot of them. But, you know, there is, there's a, it's, it's a world of its own. And George called Carlos out for stealing his material on that special. And then recently, well, within the last couple of years, uh, somebody put up on YouTube, uh, uh, Carlos doing a bit, from the DVD version of his Comedy Central hour against a Bill Cosby bit. And, you know, that really sealed the deal on Carlos's fate in terms of him being a thief. Now, look, I don't want to rehash the controversy. That, that's not my intention here. My intention is to understand some facet of the comedy community, of the comedy mind, of the, you know, of the, the dynamics of the world that I live in you know, through this person. Yeah, I'm not trying to, to, to put somebody on the hot seat for ratings or for people to go, you know, fuck that guy. I want to understand on a human level, you know, what this is about. Because the one thing I know is that Carlos Mencia was on that poster with me. So the one thing I know is that, you know, he built his fucking house. He built his clown. And, you know, he's been doing comedy for a long time. And he's, he, he was very successful. I mean, he was a huge act for a few years. I mean, his his career is arcing a bit, and I figured that might be a good time to address some of this stuff, to figure out, you know, what really is in the mind of Mencia around this stuff. To be that hated, to be that controversial for that specific reason, that you, there is a myth around him. You know, and myths can be true and they cannot be true, but there, you know, he is the whipping boy for the comedy community, for anybody who is a comedy fan in the comedy nerd fashion, you know, Carlos is the antichrist. So, of course, again, to me, that means like, well, let's see if I can get real with this guy. Let's see if he'll answer to this. You know, I talked to Robin about it. You know, this is a real issue. You know, I have my own feelings about it. But let's see if we can get into the mind of Mencia and figure out, you know, where his conscience is around this. And, and, that's, and that's what I'm going to do. And that's what you're going to hear. I'm going to talk to Carlos Mencia as a contemporary and as 
a fellow comic and see where that takes us. I get tired of people, uh, you know, talking shit about people after a certain point. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) in a certain way that, uh, by the way, in the garage here at the Cat Ranch, Carlos Mencia, the infamous Carlos Mencia. Infamous. You've become kind of infamous. Dude, it's it's so weird, man. I was at the comedy store on, uh, what was it, Saturday night, and uh, I popped in really late. Yeah. Like on purpose. Right. Just because I knew, uh, you know, all right, I'm only, I'm going to bump somebody, but at least it'll be like toward the end and right. it won't be, you know, so I got there literally at one something. Yeah. Did about 20 minutes or so and, you know, the crowd was happy. They were great. It was awesome. You know, I'm, I'm out back and uh, you know how this parking lot is structured yeah. and there's the big ramp where they park on the other side by the hotel. Yeah, yeah. A guy literally sitting on his door, on the door, the passenger side, holding like a, probably a flip or something like that. Yeah, Pointing it at me, just yells out, you fucking suck, you're the worst fucking piece of shit ever, fuck you. And I'm just like, really? Is that necessary, bro? (laughs) Like, honestly? Wow. (laughs) And Jimmy Schubert's like, Jesus fucking Christ, what the fuck is that, Carlos? I'm like, I don't know, man, I get that all the time, I have no idea. Like I don't, I don't understand when it when it got to this point where you know people feel that kind of like hate and negativity, and it's amazing to me. Yeah, amazing. I, I, well, you know that's you know one of the reasons why I I saw it. You know, I when I saw that Robin, like there was an interesting thing that you know people forget where people come from and and what kind of work people put in to getting to where they're going to be and it becomes very easy to dismiss people for these fucked up reasons you know right. and and of course everyone has their reasons but i like i have talked about you to to radio show hosts and I, i've talked about uh you know the rogan and you and and this reputation is built out but look at that po- you see that poster right behind you yeah the happy hbo half hour comedy hours 1995 okay you're you're there down on the lower left hand side oh wow that's right. Okay. You know, now that's 1995. That's 15 fucking years ago. Okay. And I remember when you showed up to do those things then, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? He right. already thinks he's a big star. Right. But the thing that interests me about you, I mean, how long have you been doing stand up? Since 88. Uh, Since 1988. So yeah. that's 22 years. Yeah. And when you started, I mean, you just, you've been doing comedy. Yeah. Now in 1988, you know what was your, your what name were you going by? Uh, when I first started for about a week and a half, it was Ned Mencia. That's my birth name, Ned Arnell Mencia. Right. That was a first, uh, and then Mitzi saw me perform. Mitzi at the comedy store. Yeah. And, yeah. and she's just like, oh, you can't be an angry Mexican named Ned. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> so I go, I go, Mitzi, I'm not Mexican. Yeah. You know. Yeah. From the beginning, I knew that that was a big deal because I grew up in East LA where, you know, they let me know. See, in East LA, everybody let me know, you are not Mexican. Yeah. Because, you know, everybody's Mexican. So it was like, dude, you're from Central America. You know, you're you're the wetback to us. That's the way they treated me. You're that, from farther. You had to cross our border, bitch. That that was the whole. Is that true? 
Oh, yeah. So you got condescended to by Mexicans, even though you're a Latin American? Dude, the worst part ever, yeah. ever, yeah. Uh, was I, I had no idea that this was the case, right? Right. I, I, was, I was a young adult. You know, I mean, I'm in, I'm in my teens, late teens, something like that. I'm dating yeah. this Mexican girl. I think everything's great. Yeah. She's great. Everything's awesome. Yeah. She finally brings me to her dad's house. Yeah. I'm having a great conversation till he asks me where I'm from. He's like, so what part of Mexico are you from? I'm like, uh, I was actually born in Honduras. He literally was like, fuck, no, no. What are you doing, Mika? And I'm just like, holy shit, what the fuck? What happened? What did I do? Right. She stopped dating me, bro. Really? She stopped, yeah. That was it? She stopped, yeah. And it was one of those things where I, I was like, like, what, 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 we're, we speak Spanish. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, right. And here's the weird part. His family was illegal. My family's never been illegal. So I was even like, bitch, I have a green card. Fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're the illegal. But right. it, it was just like, it was, it was like, it was like I was one step, and I don't mean this in a shitty way, but it's real. To them, I was just like, I have a point above black. Well, that's well. There's and that happens within the Mexican uh, oh, aristocracy. Yeah. I mean, there are oh, yeah. white, light skinned Mexicans, yeah. and then the, the light skinned Mexican, light skinned Mexicans are sort of like you know condescending to the uh, the indigenous Mexicans. Oh yeah, the Mexicans from Spain. Yes, right. The Spaniards but, are the best. So you know your I mean? both your parents were Honduran, or you're mm-hmm. just your mom. My see, it's really weird. My birth mother and birth father have eighteen kids. Mm-hmm. But when I was born, uh, my uncle, who's the first person to emigrate to this country. He was actually a really great man who couldn't have kids. Mm-hmm. So my birth mother was living in Honduras, living in, you know, poor, whatever. Right. My, my uncle came to this country, immigrated, went back to Honduras and got his uh, two brothers and sister, which is my mom. She was pregnant at the time. She found out that he can't have kids. Right. So she said, this child I will give to you as a gift because you know he got your because out. god you know yeah you got me out and god didn't give you the ability to have kids so you were a gift yeah so i grew up next door to my brothers and sisters my entire life not knowing no knowing it, it was oh completely, you knew. oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh, no okay. that was like that's mom i would be like mom and two people would go like what yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. no not you mom that mom yeah, yeah. well i'm your mom no that's my mom <laughs> you know what i mean it yeah, was yeah. just like the creep <laughs> to other people it's really weird but to me it's just totally normal so i have two sets of mothers, my birth mother and birth father were both born in Honduras. Uh, my mother, who raised me, she's Mexican, and my father is from Honduras as well. And really? that's like the weird dynamic that that I grew up with. That's wild. I know. So I've always been like it, it helped me in my comedy though, and in life because I've always been an insider and an outsider. I've always felt like both. You know what I mean? I always yeah. felt like that's my mom, but that's my mom. Right. I'm an American, but I'm not. But there were no I'm treated like Mexican, but I'm not. You right. know what I mean? But it, you grew up in in you know, primarily a Mexican situation. Almost. Oh yeah. But now, do, you didn't have a, a white stepfather or anything? No, no. Oh, yeah. You see, like you get all this misinformation, and the weird thing is, oh, like, that I'm German. The whole German thing. Yeah. What? What? Where did the hell does that come from? Here's how that that came from, and it's from you know what you know what fucking sucks. What sucks about that is this is like these come from personal conversations that I've had with people that you know I believed were friends at the right, time. Right. You know what I mean? Not not really thinking. Like comics. Use this as information and shit. Like you know? comics or writers or what? Yeah, just... comics, comics. You know, I don't know which ones, to sure, be honest I, with that's you. All right. but, you know, and I'd say it, but, you know, um, no, here's how it works. My grandfather, who's my father's father, he spoke English. Yeah. But a weird English. Right. And at the time, I didn't know. So he was from the Cayman Islands, I found out. And 
My great grandfather's from the Cayman Islands. Yeah. Their last name is Holness. That's H O L N E S S. So I was watching a soccer match. I was about 16, 17, and there was this German guy. His name was Honus, H-O-E-N-E-S-S. My my dad's last name is spelled H-O-L-N-E-S-S. So then I did a little bit of research, and I found out that you know there's a last name Holness in Germany, but there's also one in England. So somewhere, somewhere from there, right? Th- that part of my family originated. Mm-hmm. That's where this whole I'm German comes from, which is fucking bizarre to me because anybody named Gonzalez or Ramirez, I don't care how Mexican you think you are, somewhere a Spaniard fucked your mom. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that's reason you have that name. Like right. most of us in, in, in the Latin American culture are not fully, fully indigenous. Of most course. of us got a little bit of some shit that's from, right. from the old country. And I'm the same. You well, know the what weird I mean? thing is, if like, uh, sure, and, and the, the thing about the Germans and the Mexicans is that the Germans had uh, some major part in, in Mexican culture because in Texas, yeah, exactly. And the tuba. Yeah, the conjunto the, music. <laughs> yeah, all, yeah. That, all that polka shit that is integrated exactly. in the conjunto music yep. is from the Germans in Texas. Yes, yes. It's wild. Well, I guess the reason I'm asking you this is that in my mind, the, the the idea that people get upset with you, this whole, you know, he's not a real Mexican thing. I mean, you know, first of all, it, you know, Mitzi talked you into making a show business decision to change your name to Carlos. You know what's funny? I was... I people was, change your name in show business all the time. Exactly. I remember I was watching uh, Jack Palance in, uh, God, I was nine, maybe 10, and mm-hmm. I'm watching That's Incredible, and he starts naming off. Who do you think Slapowski Shawinsky is? Right. You know, is that Greta Garbo? You know what I mean? And he's going through all these names of people. And at nine, I remember going, oh, everybody changes their name when they have too much ski or too much belignage, whatever. So when she said, hey, you got to change your name. I was like, I have an uncle named Carlos. Yeah. Carlos Mencia, that's melodious. (laughs) That's exactly what happened. How old were you then when you first got there? Dude, I was like 19, 20. So So you're really a store guy. Yeah, imagine that. I'm 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 nineteen twenty. I'd never done stand up before. I had no dreams of being a stand up. I'm not like Robin or yeah. any of those guys that at sixteen or seventeen. I had none of those fucking dreams. Yeah. I grew up in East LA where in a classroom a friend of mine uh was asked by the teacher, What do you want to be when you grow up? And he was like, Um I think I want to be the president of the United States. And the teacher went, you're going to be a mechanic. You can't be president. There's going to be no Mexican president. <laughs> yeah. Who else? And we're all like, uh, mechanics? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I grew up in that environment. Yeah. So yeah. I, it, I, I never thought of doing anything other than go to school, get good grades, and get the fuck out of this place where they shoot at me for being in the wrong corner. For me, I, it literally started with... I think it was in mid fifth in mid nineteen eighty five ish or something like that. There was a plane um, that landed in Hawaii. Yeah, and it was flying from one island of. There's like a commuter plane, local commuter plane, and the fuselage came apart. It was a seven thirty seven, and uh, they sent on the news, you know, flight attendants like that of a plane at seventy five hundred feet. She's presumed dead. That's what they sent on the news. I remember that. Right. Yeah. So I went to work and went. Can you fucking believe that? These presumed dead. She sucked out of a plane at seventy five hundred feet. <laughs> She's dead, dude. You can say it. What is she wearing? Kotex wings? I don't understand it. But I'm really angry. Yeah. I'm not trying to be right. funny. I'm right. just really like, how can you say that? Presumed. Correct. Yeah. So now these guys are laughing and you know, and they're and, and so you know, every other day I had some other stupid story that, that just pissed me off. And 
and there was this guy named Joe, and Joe was miserable. You know, Joe was the guy that hated his life, hated his wife, hated his kids, and he just moped in, and that was just his job. Yeah, yeah. And literally, man, Joe came up to me in the most monotone voice ever yeah. and was like, "Um, you're very funny, and you make me laugh. You should do stand-up comedy. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah! And then I turned around and went, what the fuck is stand-up comedy? Like, yeah. literally, yeah. I had no idea that it was stand-up. Like 18 or 19? I'm 18, yeah. No, 19 going on 20 at the time. Isn't that interesting that the reason that you were inspired is that, you know, some guy, because I, you know, I, I speak to people who are sad. And yes. there, there's something about when some guy like that, that yeah. you know is sad, you know, comes up and no one can get through to that guy. Right. And, you know, his wife, you know, after whatever you said, you said he's still going to go back to his wife. But in yes. that moment, yes, you got a little bit of relief. Yeah. And that, that was what inspired That affected me yeah. because I'd never seen him smile. Yeah. Well, but that's he, powerful. He, he smiled and I was like, whoa. So I went to the, I went to the improv mm. and I remember, uh, the the one performer I remember was Rick Dukeman. I remember Rick. He kind of lisped and he was kind of, you know, he yeah, used yeah, to be yeah. a fat guy and then yeah. he became a thin guy. Is he still alive, that guy? I don't know. I don't know. I remember him well. He was always at the improv. Yeah. And he was really fat once and, and he's angry and he was sort of yes. edgy. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I just so identified with that edginess. You know yeah. what I mean? He was doing a bit uh, about being in line at the supermarket mm -hmm. and, and coupons. Right. You know, one of those bits. And, sure. But, but it was just so like, and I'm waiting in line. And the fu fucking coupons. Yeah. God, yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And the crowd's going fucking nuts. And I'm laughing my ass off. Show's over. And it, this was like a scene in a movie. We're walking out the hallway. I stopped. Everybody's walking past me. I look back to the empty stage and I didn't think it. I felt yeah. I could do that. Right. Right. I, it wasn't like a, I could do that. I think I could do that. Uh -huh. It was literally, I can do that and I can do that well. Right. You can lock into that. And uh, so then I told a cousin of mine who's in a wheelchair. Uh -huh. He got shot when he was a kid, about eight, eight, I think he was eight years old. Mm -hmm. And I've always been his inspiration. Because I've always accomplished all the stuff that he wanted to, yeah. that he couldn't. Right. He's in a wheelchair yeah. and blah, blah, blah. So I made the mistake of telling him, you know what? I'm going to try stand-up comedy. Yeah. So, dude, every day, the day from the day that I told him, mm. hey, when are we going to go do that thing? When are we going to go do stand-up? So one day I just <laughs> threw his ass. I literally just picked up his wheelchair, threw it in the car and said, we're going right fucking now. And uh, it was- uh, Did you use him to get on stage? No, no. Like, it was. It would have been great. <laughs> that would have been awesome. Come on, just do it, do it for my friend and my buddy. <laughs> oh, that would have been funny, man. I've never used him like that. Yeah. I wish I did, but I, I get to- <laughs> The the greatest story though he yeah. he is the greatest joke like he's the the not the bud but he is the genesis of the funniest joke I've ever told in my life because it's a great story but um I, I I went to the it was on a Tuesday yeah. so I found out that the Laugh Factory is having amateur night on a Tuesday uh -huh. so I literally on the way there stopped by a bookstore yeah purchased a joke book because yeah. I what am I gonna talk about yeah. I had one joke. Yeah, the, right. the the joke about the airline. Uh -huh. That was the only joke I had. Presumed dead. That's it. Uh -huh. Presumed dead. That's all I got, man. That's it. <laughs> so I'm like reading joke jokes, going, "Oh, okay, I can use that and yeah, say yeah. I went to school and my yeah, teachers. Yeah. Okay, I can do that." And yeah. I just ripped, you know, yeah. like whatever, right, out of there. And and I went on stage. Um, they they said it's the first time I've ever done it. Um, I did like three minutes. I ran out of jokes. I literally ran out of jokes and said, um. Or, well, I, I ran out of jokes, guys. Good night. Bye. Get off stage. And Jamie's like, hey, buddy, 
I love that thing you do where you pretend, you know, to be body. It's great. You pretend to be. I go, I pretend. What, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never been on stage before. Buddy, no, it's good. You can tell me. I'm like, I'm telling you, I've never been on stage Wait, before. He thought you were pretending to what? To be on stage for the first time. Oh, oh. Like, he thought that was a gimmick. Oh, of I get, like, I get hey, yeah, that's yeah, my yeah, first yeah. time ever. Right. He Genuine was like, that's a great gimmick. Yeah, I, like, yeah. I like that guy. Buddy, yeah. buddy. Yeah. I'm like, nah, man, I, I, I've never been on stage before. That's my first time ever. I don't even know what just happened. The, the next day, I just stopped going to work. You know, that I'm sick. I'm sick until they fired me like a week later. Yeah. And uh, my parents were fucking, well, my dad wasn't pissed. My dad didn't give a shit. My yeah. mom was just so disappointed, bro, and and hated it. And, and, and luckily, like in 1989, I think it was. And my parents are immigrants, so you you know they're just like we didn't come to this country, so you can tell a goddamn joke. Why don't you be funny at your job? Get yeah, a yeah. job, and you know. And my dad's like, if he wants to juggle, fuck it, let him be a clown, you yeah. know. And I'm like, I'm not a clown, dad. It's not like that. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm I'm on your side, and fuck you. And I'm like, oh, dude, you don't get it, bro. It's not. Yeah, okay, whatever, dude. Well, the interesting thing about about that about choosing that that outlet, you you know, you get I I you know some people criticize you for for stereotyping. They criticize you for being a racist but what i sense that uh, that is interesting is i would imagine there's a certain white person you know uh uh disposition a white bird white man's burden and there's also the the sort of like you know alternative kind of you know uh, intellectual crowd that's going to make decisions about you because of how they see you but i how does the latino community you know take you in or react to you well the respect that i get from from my community is, is not just as a comedian it's more like he speaks the truth. He speaks for us. He defends us. You know, he's like, as soon as this law got passed, in all Arizona? the emails got, yeah, in Arizona, everybody's like, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to say about it? You know what I mean? And they want me to do it, expect me to do it. Right what? now, I just, I'm going to, I'm shooting a sketch, I think on Friday, yeah, on Friday, I'm shooting a sketch that I'm going to put out, um, I think on, I don't know, I'm going to put it on my website and YouTube and one of those, but it, it's basically a, uh, a kit on how not to look or act like an illegal alien. Uh-huh. That's so that's, you know, it's as, it's as, it's as crazy as it sounds. It's uh-huh. exactly what you think it is. But, um, they, I get like love and respect. Well, what do you think about stereotypes? Because it seems to me like, you know, as I've been in comedy for, for a long time now, and I start to see the effect of, of, you know, what stereotyping does to an audience that a lot of times the stereotyping, uh, the, the, the group that you're stereotyping seems to get the most out of it on some level, because a lot of times stereotypes are true. They ring true to a certain, you know, part of the population. Right. And a certain part of the population that you're stereotyping that it enables them to laugh at them. When does a stereotype become something wrong? It, it, you know when stereotypes become wrong? When you or the audience or you communicate to the audience that there are no exceptions. That's when a stereotype becomes bad. I assume that my audience is not retarded. Right. You know what I mean? And yeah. I assume that they understand that there, there's an understanding that, look, not all blanks are this. Yeah. We're just talking about the people that engage in this. Yeah. And and you can't ignore that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. the other side of it is when I do a show with only Mexicans, let's just say all Mexicans, all Latinos, uh-huh. I actually take those a little further. I go deeper into that and say, you know, you need to stop doing this shit because people are watching. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. But when I'm doing like a regular show, I don't go that deep. So with the, with the stereotypes, for me, it's more about 
be responsible with them in the sense that make them understand because if somebody were to say during a joke yeah they're all like that right. i would literally stop the joke and say no dick face not all mexicans wear fucking sombreros and maracas yeah on a donkey painted like a fucking zebra that doesn't happen i'd say there's very few now exactly so there's some but there's not a lot the the problem <laughs> i don't with, see them around here it's very mexican it, neighborhood i know it's <laughs> a, the, the the issue see the problem with mm. the mexican culture specifically in this country is unlike Italians or or any other group there was a concentrated group of years where these people came in and then it stopped so Italians had their rush Germans had their rush you know what i mean the the, the Irish had their rush and that was it the problem with Mexicans is that since the 1970s there's a rush and then those people graduate mm -hmm. so all the people in the 70s they don't live in the projects yeah you know what i mean sure they live out here they live in pasadena yeah. they live in fontana yeah except they got replaced by a new set of them basically so those people now have chickens in their backyard and the whole stair sure. and then they get to like hey man we can buy chickens at the store we don't need to so then they move out and the next group moves in and they bring so they just that that stereotype sure and there's a tension between keeps us keeps being perpetrated exactly there's a class issue within the community yeah because it happens now, in the black community as well right we're like bro i don't fuck i don't have chickens in my backyard yeah 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 my grandfather does, you know what I mean? There's always that pause of yeah. like anybody, well, yeah, my uncle, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. But that's, and that's our problem with it. Like the issue as a Latino in this country, there's only so far I can run before I get yanked by this tether of, you know, the dude that uh, that's still my family member that lives in East LA. You know what I mean? I get tired, go I'm not like you. Uh, 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 fuck! Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's where the stereotype and that's where the shitty part of like, where do I go with this? You know what I mean? Like in writing this bit that I'm telling you about, I, okay, I have to deal in stereotypes because that's what this law is. This law states that, you know, uh, SB 1070 in Arizona, it states that if during lawful contact, the police have a reasonable suspicion, that that's what it is, a reasonable suspicion that you might be an illegal alien. So, okay. So I got to go, okay, I want to write a bit that's ridiculous. I don't want to take it serious, Will, so I'm going to make it an infomercial. It's going to be a kit that I sell mm -hmm. on how to, you know, act American or be American or look American. Right. And I have to go with all of the stereotypes, you know what I mean? And so can I write a, f a smarter bit? Yeah. The problem is, is it going to really hit what it needs to hit? Will it really get the reaction that I want it to get and, and hit the buttons and, and make people go, hey the way i wanted to yeah I, I don't i don't think so and so there's choices that i make as an artist you know well, what i, I mean well, i think that's true and i think that you you know you you deal in the 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 thing about what you just said is that you know will it will it work will it hit right you know and 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 i think that you're the kind of comic that you know you have to hit you know what that, I, I, that is my big <laughs> that you're right that's the biggest and i god i fucking envy that about like other comics that they can do whatever you like, give a shit deeply. Like I, I, mean, I do. I want to change the fucking world. And I really do. I want to make the world a better place. But you're also highly competitive. With myself, though. I, but like let's be honest. I mean, you know No, I no, mean, no. I'm being I'm being really honest. I use competition with others as a ploy to get myself fired up, but once I'm on stage and then I get off stage, that that goes away but you want to bury everything that came before i mean you have a killer instinct up there that you're not gonna you're not gonna take them not 
locking in with your shit and you're going to go after them. Yeah. That's your style. That comes from wanting to not fail. That comes from fear, though. Of course, it all comes from fear. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid to fail, bro. I'm afraid to suck. I'm, you know, since, look, I'll, I'll tell you, it's funny. I'm going to therapy. Really? Because I want to, as a human being, change that part of myself of doing everything out of fear as opposed to doing things out of love and, and caring. You know what I mean? Your therapist and, Jewish? No, like, no, it was my idea to do it, but my therapist is really metaphysical and he's a really great guy, but I can track it down to a point in time in my life. I was a little kid living in East LA on Bonnie Beach. Yeah. There was a guy walking down the street. I knew him. Yeah. He lived around the block from me. I yeah. knew where his house was, everything. Uh-huh. I'm four. Yeah. Literally like four. Yeah. He's huffing, right? So he's spraying paint into a paper bag yeah and sniffing it yeah he walks up to me and he i remember he i remember exactly what he said hey man ned where do i live where the fuck is my house man and i remember going bro it's around the corner over there it's the pink one and i walked him to his house yeah and from that point in time in my life i can honestly say that everything has been i don't want to be like that i don't want to do that you know i i i didn't have a drink until I was 42 yeah and I'm 42 now so literally <laughs> never six months drink. ago oh, really was the first time I ever had a drink how was that never been high never it, it was it was weird but you know because I'm a control freak why'd you do it because I want to change because like so I, you thought like maybe this is the way to go now well no I want to <laughs> be able to enjoy a glass of wine sure sure and not be afraid that I'm gonna you know because dude Who's my biggest fear is, is that's literally my fear my fear has always been, no, dude, you're going to have a glass of wine, and then you're going to end up sucking a dick on a corner. It's yeah, like, yeah. you know what I mean? There's no in-between for me. <laughs> like, I go to the extreme, man. Yeah. So in my head, I'm like, oh, my God. I, sw- I No, I can't have a glass of wine. Why not? I'm going to end up sucking a dick on a corner. You yeah. know that. And then, like, <laughs> like that's, and people are looking at me like, what's wrong with you? You're out of your fucking mind. But that's that's where I grew up. You know what I mean? Sure. My cousin Benji and I were hanging outside. You know what I mean? He went upstairs and, and he got shot. Um, you know, my my best friend Jorge, he ended up smoking pot and I was like, no big deal. And then three years later, he's, you know, he's in jail for killing somebody over a Coke deal. I mean, that's the life that I saw. So I was always like that. So when I'm on stage, it really isn't about anybody else. It's really about... Dude, I need to be great because I, I need to pay my fucking bills and I need to take care of my family and I need to, to, to it's not even, it's not even like I want to bury that guy or that guy because once I get off stage, sometimes I feel like weird about that. But, but when I'm on stage, it's like, dude, it all goes back to that point in time if i suck i'm gonna end up broke and then i'm gonna do drugs and i'm like dude every fucking thing i don't do ends up with me sucking a dick in a corner for some crack yeah and that's interesting because also when we're on stage and i feel this as well it's it's we it's the only place in my life where where i know it's mine yeah i have control of this yes. situation yes. and i feel engaged and alive yes and I'm, my brain's not you know freaking out about anything it's like it, I'm, I'm i'm completely present right. and it's my fucking show yeah that's exactly what it is and i feel that and and i want that and i love that but but it also comes from you know be, being being disrespected you know what i mean not not feeling like i ever got my 
just due respect. I mean, in in life, in, in life in general, you know what I mean. I was never Mexican enough. But but then when I would go to Mexico, they call me a pocho, which yeah. literally means like you're an outsider. But the weird thing is, you grew up in a Mexican culture, correct? But I, then I go to Honduras, and yeah. they're like, "You're Mexican." No, I'm not. Fuck! Are you serious? And so I've never felt like I've ever got you know the the respect. You know, even in stand up comedy, I've gotten the accolades. Right. I've got the money. Yeah. I've had the TV show. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've had right. movies. Yeah. But I have the respect, mm. you know what I mean, mm-hmm. and 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 you know when that happens and you want it, or you you at least would love a moment like that, you know what I mean. It just well, it, it comes it, it it just it digs at you, and and I'm not the type of person to go up on stage and complain or whine about it. But I've also noticed that you know I mean what what happened is, you know, you got called out publicly. And, you know, by Joe Rogan. And I, I've actually, I, you know, it, it's weird, Carlos, because I, you know, I actually addressed this. Right. You know, in writing. Right. And, and, and just last week, you know, I talked about it on mm-hmm. a, a radio show. And, oh. I, and I talk about you mm-hmm. and I talk about him, mm-hmm. about Rogan. Right. And in my mind, you know, and this is from a guy, I used to be the guy that used to go up to comics and go, I think that's so-and-so's bit. I think that's right. so-and-so's I right. was that guy. And then I started to realize as time went on that, look, a lot of bits uh, anyone can do. Right. You know, where there's only so much reality to draw from. Right. Now, and, and then it became my mind that, like, if someone takes my bit, right. my bit right. that I know is mine, then I go talk to that guy. Right. And I say, that's my bit. Now- now we need to address this because you know I, I want to give you an opportunity to explain this because I watched that movie you know I am comic mm-hmm. you know and I saw in your eyes you were like fuck yeah I did it I did it right. but I also saw the pain and now I talk to you about sure. this and this has got to be killing you Killed so me. Well, well let's let's clear it up I mean what happened so here's what happened I'm at the you telling me the well, truth going Rep? going back no seriously going back he was a buddy of mine. Well, We're I mean, friends. let's talk. We can talk, right? Okay, and, 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 and I'll, I'll you set talk it about up, you so, and Rogan, and then we'll talk about the th- the stealing. But but all of it. Okay, a long long time ago, you know, a long long time ago. What year? I mean, uh, you're not talking probably about- eighty eighty eight. Okay, eighty eight. Yeah, uh, there was there was a there was a comedian and I. We were talking about. I had this bit about GI Joe, and how there's no Mexican GI Joe dolls, and he was talking to me about a bit that he was thinking about about there's no barbie dolls is it freddie no 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 who was um carlos oscar okay so from that conversation i i went wow that's a funny idea so the next night i went to a club and did my bit and incorporated the things that he was talking about but he's a comedian right and he was talking about a bit that he wanted to do so he came up, he showed up. I didn't know he was going to show up. Not that I, but you know, whatever. I, I did the bid and, and I got off stage and I was like, hey, did you see that? And he looked at me and he went, that, that's the bit I told you I was going to do. And I looked in his eyes and I, I saw this, like, like I raped him. Yeah. Literally. And I was like, oh shit. But we were just like, yeah, going back. There were forth. flowing words. Sure, there were, sure. Yeah. And I, he was like, I've no, but there. that's my, but that, that's my bit. Yeah. And from that point on, yeah. whenever somebody would come up to me, like I would, at the comedy store, I would hear, hey man, um, you know, Eddie Griffin's pissed at you because uh, he said that you did a bit of his. I would walk up to Eddie and go, hey, Eddie, they said that there was a bit that I do that you did or Mooney, hey Mooney, somebody said that you do this bit and I do this bit. This is what I do because I know you're not going to watch me. I know Mooney's not going to sit down and watch any of the comics. So yeah. I'm like, this is my bit. What's your bit? Oh, brother, it's cool. You know what I mean? So I always like... 
addressed that and everybody and, and the weird thing about the comedy store is everybody you know there's about nine or ten guys a night doing the same roughly the same subject matter correct i mean I, you know if you're doing topical things which you know that's why i try not to anymore right yeah, i'm just gonna, you're gonna run into it philosopher right okay so you you usually so said, this okay. so, so this so this kind of gets perpetrated mm -hmm. partly i think because I didn't drink and I didn't smoke. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't, I've never been in that fraternity of comedians. Right. Cause I never hung out in the back while they're doing all that stuff. Right. And while, and I never engaged in talking shit about the comics, which is such a big ritual and rite of passage for young comedians. It seems to me like from the outside talking looking shit? in uh, uh, when they're young, you know what I mean? Young comics just sit there and talk shit about, Oh, that guy's not funny. And that guy, sure, and I sure, hear that. Sure. I was never in that fraternity I because still, I still do it. Yeah. I can't see. I can't I'm starting not to. Yeah. I, I can't. Cause that comes from fear too. Well, my thing is, look, I, I grew up where Mexicans talk shit about white people. Yeah. And 99.99% .99 of all the Mexicans killed are killed by Mexicans. Yeah. So I just, I just never understood that. Right, so you were I, never a player here. So I never, I, I never did that. Okay. I, even to this day, right? The worst thing that the the worst thing that you can that you can hear of me on a radio station is somebody asked me why do you think a Joe is doing this jealousy and I said well, maybe that's like the worst thing I've ever said. So this reputation is kind of lingering s since the beginning of my career, but it never just that's the thief went thing. anywhere. The yeah, thief, yeah. Then. I wrote a Taco Bell joke yeah. and it was the most obvious fucking joke of all time. It was when they created the Enchirito and mm -hmm. it was basically, what did they get an enchilada to fuck a burrito? Yeah. It, it wrote itself. Yeah. It literally wrote well, itself. That's, that's actually probably what they meant. That, that's exactly what they meant. It's yeah. a mix of both. Yeah. So I did a joke and then uh, George Lopez came up to me and this was the biggest mistake of my career. Yeah. And I can, I can now say that that was ego driven and it was a lot a lot of fear but he came up to me and he's like you know that's my joke and i was like bro it's it's a taco bell joke you can't you can't be a latino and claim taco bell as, yeah. as your subject <laughs> you just can't yeah. and he was like that's my joke now today today i would have looked at george and said you know what bro you've been doing it longer than i have out of respect go ahead keep the joke yeah but I was a young comic. Yeah. I didn't know that I was going to write anything funnier than that. I mean, at that point, every funny so you're, joke. You were going to fight for the entry. Fuck yeah, man. Uh -huh. That's a great joke. What well, are you yeah, talking about? Yeah. That, that's the one that's going to put me on HBO. Yeah. Fuck you. You know what I mean? <laughs> that was my attitude. And, and so I was like, um, you know what? You're, you're crazy, man. You, you know, this, you have a problem. But at this juncture, I'd like to point out that, you know, if within a community, an ethnic community, even within the black community, that right. there are shared premises. Now, you know, I'm not apologizing for anybody, but I, you know, part of this discussion that I'm having with you has to do with the fact that there's a difference between original jokes and, and relatively easy jokes made from a certain ethnic angle. I agree. I, I, I completely agree. And, and so that, that got perpetrated as you, you know, stole from Lopez. put it a little bit more right you know kind of he he wasn't on the radar as much you know what i mean but it just brought it but up now to you were the level. guy that stole from george lopez and you were a reputed thief at the comedy store so what you're talking about now and this is just coming off you also interestingly at the beginning of your career you know oh, very early no, no but knowing you were funny at the very beginning right you said well i'm gonna get a joke book 
Right. Now, what I think what's interesting is that we're discussing, you know, you can call them hacker, you can call them stock, but these are topics that are out there and and you know, you know, a lot of comics do them. So your approach as as the comic that you are is saying, well, I know that topic's out there, but this is my angle. Right. Okay. And 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 you know, I've never I've never had a problem with being called a hack or that I do stock jokes. That yeah. I've never had an issue with right. because like you said, it's different when you grow up. I think if I was a comic that had grown up in a small town and I was the only one of three comedians, mm-hmm. I think I would have been a lot more respect, you know, I had a better perspective or a different perspective on material because it would have been just like three of us. So I would yeah. have been like, oh, come on, man. It's just, you, you know, it's just Mark, me and Eric. I'm not right. going to do your joke, bro. Right. I mean, we're, we're the only three. But I will say that anytime anybody's ever said, especially before all this bullshit, you know, hey, that guy said, or, or you took my, I, I, I addressed it and I dropped it or I changed it, but, but I never like said, fuck you. I, I, I always addressed it. No, because even Lopez after about a year or two after, and, and this is the story that he says that he punched me in the face or some shit. I was having a dinner at the Gaucho Grill that used to exist across the street from the improv. I mean, from the Laugh Factory. I look up and his name is there. I told my girlfriend at the time, you know what? I need to go fix this. I, I need to go fix this. Mm. So I went up to George and I said, hey, George, you know, we need to fix this because someday people are going to ask us to work together and it's going to happen because just because of who we are, we need to squash this. And then his wife was like, fuck you. You know what you did. You know who you are. And then he grabbed, he grabbed my shirt and I looked at him and I said, do you really want to do this here? Because we were upstairs in the balcony Yeah. and he, and he let me go and I walked away. And at that point, I was like, okay, I tried. Here's the ironic part about that. Like five years later after that, somebody, you know, uh, somebody called me and said, you know, you and George Lopez and Paul Rodriguez should do a show together. And uh, I had already given money to somebody as a silent partner and told them, put this show together, offer him whatever their quotes are whatever they need to do whatever do it this is my money because nobody would do it and uh we did a tour called the three amigos in uh in texas and we sold like fifty thousand seats all together in like four you, or five lopez cities and who? me lopez and paul rodriguez uh-huh. this was like you know in the in the mid 90s and this was after all that shit yeah so now okay so you did this so thing now with lopez and the lopez got... thing goes on but and yeah. it kind of disappears Everything a little bit well he, i guess he kind of probably either let it go or just thought it was below him to talk about it but it's interesting that you guys made business decisions to work with each other oh and, yeah and then and then now you've still got this reputation hanging over you but it doesn't become an international incident no until joe until rogan joe keeps keeps you know saying carlos mastelia carlos mastelia carlos mastelia this is before he you had the this is way before any of this in the mid 90s yeah so i don't know about that it's probably you know more toward the 2000s but because we were buddies for a while he just calls he became he befriended george you know what i mean and then george influenced him so then i'm at the comedy store and and uh you know, a, a buddy of mine who was a writer on my show, Fox, Kirk Fox. I know Kirk. Gets introduced. So he introduces him as, oh, this guy works with, you know, Carlos Menstelia, blah, blah, blah. And I was there. And I was just fucking sick of this shit. Yeah. Because, and, and here's what you got to understand. If I actually really did consciously steal shit, yeah. I would have shut the fuck up. 
You know what I mean? Right. I would have just left. I would have just been like, you know what? I got a TV show and a career. You wouldn't think you would have overcompensated? Fuck him. Right. It could have gone either way. Um, Not what I did, bro. Okay. I went on stage. Yeah. After. Kirk. Kirk. Yeah. And I said, Joe, come up here, man. What fucking joke have I ever stole from you? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's how it started. Yeah. And he was like, well, you've never stolen my joke. And I'm like, so what the fuck is your problem? Like- I've I've never I've never got that. I'm like yeah. I, I don't understand it. I mean, I understand somebody coming up to me and saying you stole my shit. It was just really difficult to like have somebody say, "Well, you just take other people's stuff." I'm right. like, "Well, wh- what is what is that what does that have to do with you?" So then he said, "Well, there's comics in here that, you know, say so then that's when the joke about the fence, which like 15 of us did, you know, yeah. the, the, the Mexicans yeah, building yeah. the fence. Right. So then Ari Shafir was like, you took that joke for me because one time I opened for you. I'm like, you've never opened for me. Oh, no, no. One time I performed before you because you let me do a spot before you. And I did that joke. I'm like, do you think I was watching you? Yeah. And I let you do a spot during my show? because a friend of mine said hey let Ari go and you 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 repay me by doing this to me yeah okay <clears throat> so then th- that video you know somebody recorded that yeah. which at the time 2007 some, something had already happened at the comedy store with video and some some of us other comedians got together and said look we're not going to go perform there if you guys allow people to record us yeah because we're doing stuff that might end up on, you know, the Tonight Show or whatever. And we don't want that out in, you know, in the internet and in the biosphere before we actually do the bit. Yeah. So I was under the impression that, you know, none of this was going on. So for me, this was Kennison having a fight in the back with Vinnie Curdle and he right. pulled a gun. Right. You know, these were those stories that I heard. Yeah. This was just me and him on stage. Right. Getting it out between us. In front of the That was story. it. Yeah. You know, and the next day somebody had recorded it with a with a phone and it was on the internet, but it was crappy and whatever. Right. You know. Then uh they told him, you know, don't don't do anything with that recording. Of course, he he did the editing, he put it out, and Joe. That kind of Joe did, and that became well, Joe didn't red man, but yeah. you know, then that went out, then that became like a big big deal and that's the first day believe it or not when that video went out and then i started getting all the reaction that i realized oh shit i'm popular yeah i'm, I'm being serious yeah. i knew i sold tickets and i yeah. knew i was making money but i had no fucking idea what were the emails like that i was popular enough that people were waiting waiting for an opportunity to just say you are a piece of shit uh-huh and that's what came just a barrage of you should fucking die you're a piece of shit you know just the fucking worst i mean i'm talking about last year in december i i tweeted i'm going to iraq and i get you know posts back saying well i hope you fucking die while you're there like that kind of visceral hate and and then here's my other big fucking dumb mistake but you gotta understand like this is why i wanted to go from the beginning as opposed to so you can understand like why these decisions got made whether they were right or wrong in anyone's eyes so i'm doing my special i'm shooting a special right this is now this is after that and you know of course i said to my to my people i want to fight this battle you know i want to fight this I want to fucking go on radio, do it. And they're like, you know what? Shut the fuck up. 
You made a mistake by opening your mouth in the first place. That's my managers, agents, publicists, everybody, crisis manager guy. I was like, I want to fucking address this shit. Yeah. They were like, you will not. You will shut up. You yeah. will let this blow over. They didn't understand that the internet's forever. Yeah. It's like an echo that never stops. Yeah. They didn't get that. They thought, they were thinking traditional story hits, it goes away. They didn't, they, they didn't see what this new world is like. Yeah. So they told me to be quiet and, uh, you know, that's been the hardest fucking thing. But what happened? What did you do? What was the next thing you did? So then I'm, I'm, I'm performing, I'm, I'm doing a special. Chris McGuire and uh, Jeff Schimmel are helping me, you know, put it together. And Jeff comes up to me and says, listen, there's a joke that you do that sounds very similar. And I was like, dude, I'm fucking tired of this shit. Whoever the fuck you're going to say, I didn't, I don't know what the joke is. I don't know what his joke is. I don't know what joke you're going to tell me. And he goes, uh, listen, there's a joke that you do right now that sounds very similar to a joke that Bill Cosby does. And I'm like, well, you know what? I've never seen it. I, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and I'm, I'm just fucking tired of skirting the issue. Have you never seen it? That one? No. All right. I mean. Which joke was it? It was, uh, it was a joke about, um, about how it's it's a basic joke about how dads are the ones that help their sons become athletes but when they become athletes and become popular and they get interviewed they say i love you mom all right right so the joke was born from my brother yeah my brother's kid you know he wants to put him in pop warner football yeah. the mom is like no he's gonna get hurt and, yeah. he's had, and my brother's like no man so my brother busts his ass to get him ready and you know he has a decent year yeah and we go to his banquet and then the fucker's like, I want to thank my mom. And I'm like, you piece of shit. You yeah. know what I mean? So in, okay. in my head, it clicks. Right. And, you know, I, and then in my head, I see a montage of, of course, you know, hi, mom, hi, mom, hi, mom, hi, mom. And I go, I got to do this fucking joke. Well, when that came out, that was, that brought real legitimacy to the argument. That's like the one thing that really fucked Who's things argument? up. Oh. To the argument of the people that say, look, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, because with this other joke, 10 people did it. Yeah. It was almost like the wall. Yeah, the wall. Everybody yeah. does it. But yeah. with that joke, it was like, oh, dude, you, you know, and people, people refuse to believe that I didn't see the joke. But what I say is, do I come off as that retarded, as that stupid? Do I come off as somebody dumb enough to take a joke? from an iconic performance from one of the most beloved and iconic comedians of all time and think that nobody would see it after having a reputation for years of fucking thievery. I would never be that fucking dumb. I don't take jokes, but if I did, I'd take it from some fucking mook that nobody knows. I wouldn't do it from fucking Bill Cosby in, in I don't know if it was himself or what which one it was, but I would just not do that. That's... That's fucking dumb. Right. And so when that happened, you know, it brought the the people that are in your circle who yeah. were kind of like, oh, I don't know about it to like, well, I can't defend that. Right. You know, so even people that like me don't defend me because they just, you know what I mean? Right. It's just like, I, I don't know what to say about that one. And, and you know, what happened was when the, when the special came out, yeah. they, the producers omitted that. You know, they they kind of protected me and went, take that fucking joke out. But when it went to video, none of the producers were around anymore, so they just dumped all the all of the footage into it 
and they didn't omit that part. And so when that came out, that's when, you know, and it went crazy and, and yeah, it fucking hurts, man. It, it hurts like right, so fucking let, shit. Well, I, I can, I can tell. And that was what I sensed that, you know, when in, I saw that I am comic documentary. Right. And you were, you know, sort of manic and you, you said you stole everything. Right. Why? Well, because, because you can only say I don't steal shit for so long and it's still there. And at a certain point you just kind of go, okay. I'm going to make a mockery of it. I'm oh, going to yeah. be goofy with it. I'm right. going to be stupid with right. it. You know what I mean? Right. Because you just, you know, look, dude, whatever anybody else thinks, you know, whatever any other person thinks, however intelligent or talented that you think I am, I work really fucking hard at it. I believe that. However, whatever you think. That's clear. Whatever you think yeah, of my no shit. One, no one gets as successful as you are, uh, by doing anything else. And I think about it. And you know what I mean? I think about the repercussions of it. I think about, you know what I mean? Like right now, I have power. I, I At this very moment in time, I can, I can say some shit to really piss piss off Latinos and, and, and create real hatred toward white America. I have that power right now. Hmm. I, I could put out a special right now or do some shit online that's, at a, at a at a at a comedy club or at a performance with all Latinos, and just say you know fuck white people and all that kind of shit, and it would kill. They would love that right now. I don't do that, man, because I I feel like Spider Man. Don't be doing dumb shit just because you can. You know, don't don't take advantage of this and make all these people like you, but you know, actually do harm to to human beings. That's not that's not what I do. I'm a comedian. Mm. That's real for me. So when I'm on stage, it's like, you know what I mean? Especially when I'm on stage at the comedy store and I look back and I see one of the comedians that's on the video saying, yeah, Carlos steals shit. He's never stolen from me, but he steals shit. Those are the moments when I'm like, you have to go on after me, motherfucker. Follow this shit, bitch. You know what I mean? <laughs> Follow this fucking stolen joke, you piece of shit. And th that happens at those moments too. But I have to, you know... I feel sometimes like I have to overcome all that stuff. You know what I mean? And then it, and, and then it got to the point where I realized, okay, Milton Berle has that reputation and Robin Williams has that reputation and I'm going to die with that reputation. And the only time that I'm really going to get, you know, accolades from my peers is when I'm past, you know, when I'm gone, maybe not dead, but gone long enough from comedy that people will be like, you know, you know what? for all the shit this was the good stuff he did or this was the positive or, or when those moments happen and, and i've kind of relegated myself to understanding that and accepting that as a truth you know what i mean and then on the other hand just when i feel like this and i feel shitty and i feel vulnerable and i feel fucked up um i'm telling you man the the universe speaks you know because every time i'm having a moment i'll go somewhere and somebody will give me the most meaningful and enlightening and beautiful thing to say. And and those are the moments that I feed off of. Like I have fights with fans of mine yeah. who say, who email me and go, you know what? I don't care that you steal shit. You do it better. And I'm like, no, 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 I, no, no. Well, I think there's a point to be had there because this is, you know, you've you've been as honest, uh, I think, as you've been about this stuff with me here. And, and I've never been this honest. I've never opened up like this before. I I've never let anybody in like that. But I know that, see, the one thing about you that I know is, 
And not that you're on my side or anybody's side, um, but that's what I like, that you don't have an agenda. You know what I mean? Most most people have an agenda with this. And, and if you have that, I, I can't... I can't talk to you, you know what I sure, mean? Because sure. I want to reveal myself. Well, one thing I've said about you, and and, and I'll I'll defend this, is that you, you know you know we've addressed you know the the issue of stealing, but the one thing I know about you is that you paid your fucking dues. You did stand up comedy. It's all you wanted to do. It was your it was your job. You wanted to be the best at it, and and you built the clown. You built your house. Yeah. Now you know whether you're not you 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 know wh- whoever thinks that you stole ten minutes of jokes or twenty minutes of jokes, you know it matters in your conscience and it matters you know to whoever's going to take that right. but they're not coming to see right. your jokes right they're coming to see you right they're not they don't it's it's not even what you say right so much as you know we like that that's a guy right that's right. that carlos guy right at the end of the day you and i are only as funny as the last show that we did and and that's just you know every night i go on stage every night that i go on stage i feel it you know what i mean i feel those five minutes of oh my god it's carlos and then the sixth minute of like, all right, fucker, be funny. You know what I mean? Sure. We don't care anymore. We don't care that we saw you on a movie or a TV. We don't care. They And you know what's but funny? They, a lot of them do care. A lot of them, they, they, they love you. They care in that respect, but right. they care about one thing only. Right. And Just this, do the show. That's it. Yeah. And you know what? It was funny because I would try to address issues on stage, like about my personal shit yeah. with some of this stuff. Yeah. And the audience just look at me like, uh, why are you talking about that? Right. We don't care. That's uh, that's behind the bring the funny. The funny. Well, like, look, and that was it. Look at that poster right there. That's 1995, <laughs> dude. That's 15 years ago. We've come a long way, bro. And We've I thank come you for uh, thank you for spending this time with me. Anytime, man. Anytime. It was fun. Okay. It was a good time. Okay. So there you have that. Now I got to tell you at this juncture what happened. What happened was after I sat with Carlos in the garage, I felt something felt wrong. I felt that. I, I, somehow or another, I was being used in a way, and it was it was disconcerting to me. So I had to do some more homework, and I talked to Al Madrigal. I talked to a few guys, you know, who who didn't. You know, they, people aren't chiming in 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 the way that like you know fuck him or this or that. But basically, the t- what I got from people was like, yeah, you should do a little more research here. You know, this is a little bigger than you think it is. You should talk to some of the Latino guys. You should talk to people that know Carlos. And I thought, you know what? I should. So I reached out to some people. Because, like, look, honestly, there was something about that conversation that didn't sit well with me. That, you know, at the core of Carlos's being, there's a sort of, you know, fuck you. You know, fuck you. I win. There, there's something about that in there. And then, you know, he sort of alluded to, you know, maybe taking jokes. And then there's the whole issue of bumping people. And that, you know, this is, that's the fucked up thing is like, after I talked to him, like, holy shit, he did that to me. He bumped me once a few years back. I was headlining at the improv. My name was on the marquee and he came in and because he was who he was, he said, you don't mind if I do a few minutes and I had no choice. So he went up and did about almost an hour and I left because that's fucked up. So a couple of things didn't sit well with me. You know, that personal issue and also the fact that I didn't really talk to the Latino guys. I don't know them. So I reached out to some. Uh, I, re- I reached out to Willie Barcena, who's known uh, Carlos for years. And I reached out to Steve Trevino, who actually opened and worked for Carlos for several years. And I just wanted to put it into context. And then to be fair to Carlos, you know, after I got more information, I had to text him back 
I texted him. I said, look, you know, I got to do some follow-up. We can do it on the phone. And it was really one of those moments where, yeah, where I really hoped that the detachment of texting would work and I could just get him on the phone. But within five minutes, he said, uh, I'm coming over. Let's do it. I'm coming over. So that's coming up. We're going to hear from the Latino guys. We're going to hear people from people who knew Carlos. We're going to get deeper into some of these accusations and also my own personal issue that, uh, that I didn't bring up in the first interview. That'll be on the next episode. Go to WTFPod.com for any WTF needs. You get your JustCoffee.coop over there. Get on the mailing list so we can get you up to speed with everything that's going on week to week with the guests, with the links, with where I'm going to be. If you're in uh, Canada, I'm going to Toronto. Yuck Yucks. This Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, go to YuckYucks.com for that information. And please kick in a little bread if you got it. You know, we ourselves, you know, listener supported. And there are options. There are options. Uh, You can donate whatever you want. You can get on the $10 a month rolling donation. I'll send you a t-shirt, some stickers. We got the $250 super duper premium donation. You get two t-shirts, all three of my CDs, a special WTF uh, best of CD, some stickers, and my love. But uh, please come back for the next episode because hopefully we'll, we'll get way into the real mind of Mencia.